Hello and welcome to today's podcast episode. We will be, um, well, I will be uh, discussing different ideas, different topics, um, different perceptions of reality, and I will, I will also try to upload this on YouTube, and I will upload videos with links. Well, for now, I'll just upload it here. Um, I will be talking about anything from... I'll be showing clips any, from anything. Um, the Matrix. How it, how how the real world is the Matrix. And... Uh, the misconceptions of anarchy. And there's videos about... Um, like, the truth about how far we've been out of Earth. People are gonna laugh, but yeah, the fake moon land, the fake moon landings, like they did. Um, Family Guy, they say it's called predictive programming when they were when they had that episode with the um, <laughs> with the with the Family Guy, and then they had him um, they had him stuffing the guy in the trunk of his car because he was gonna expose him. Wait, I thought you were on the moon, <laughs> man. That, yeah, that's a funny episode. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we, we'll be talking about predictive programming. We'll be talking about how the world is the matrix, the world, the old world just stage. William Shakespeare said that. Um, and just stay tuned and enjoy. Uh, just trying to change, change people's uh, perceptions, uh, and see what happens. Just, just let it flow. So, uh, anyways, we'll be starting off with this video of, um, connecting, connecting consciousness. I, um, I, I recorded one of his lives for just about five minutes. I'm just gonna post, post five minutes of it on here. And, uh, he talks about climate change, Agenda 2030, also known as Agenda 21. Uh, it's crazy. (laughs) People think this is fake. People think this is a conspiracy. People think it's not real. You're a lunatic. <laughs> Calling you all sorts of names, but I meet people like this all the time. Not just people from Instagram connecting consciousness, who has almost a million followers. Uh, normal everyday people, from coworkers to my neighbors, to f- friends, family. Uh, I'm going to play this video. He talks about uh, carbon carbon emissions and uh, mass infertility and how how the elites are actually going to make the population go down by 90%. Uh, so here you go. I'm going to play it and then I'll give my thoughts and then you can just listen to it and form your own conclusions. Plants on Earth, they require carbon. So if they're trying to lower carbon dioxide, not to mention, remember, they have a a plan for uh, absolute zero, zero carbon dioxide emissions. Did you know that by you breathing, you emit carbon dioxide? So if we actually got to zero carbon dioxide, we would have to all be dead. (laughs) Does this coincide with what many people are talking about, the depopulation agenda, the agenda to depopulate? Now, remember, we've talked about this, but I mean, there's a couple ways to depopulate. One is mass killing. The other is mass infertility. And it does seem, based on the recent studies that are coming out of people's fertility rates, sperm count in men and fertility, etc., 
this is the lowest it's ever been in recorded history. Now, I just saw in the mainstream that, uh, you know, they're talking about why this is. And they say it doesn't have to do with the food. It's because of unknown reasons. The mainstream will not even uh, discuss it. Discuss what the true uh, causes of it are, of course. Now, when you realize, at first you're thinking, well, why would the mainstream media not talk about uh, this stuff that is going on with fertility worldwide? And it's likely because once you find out which six corporations own and control the media, it's not a surprise that they are specifically uh, promoting certain agendas and whatnot. Once you know who owns it. Now, the thing is, is that a lot of companies that are focused on environmental, okay, they want to make sure the environment is is helped. And that's true. Like, that's good. Yes, you don't want to be spraying chemicals and things. But a lot of companies get um, distracted into talking about climate, 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 uh, instead of soil, soil, water, water, water. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> now, Brian Fountain Murray the first just asked a great question. He said, what is the end game of this evil agenda? And I feel like most of you in here, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. But the agenda at the end of the day, you may think, oh, it's the Rothschilds and Rockefellers who are controlling all the banks. It's them. Who will then have full dominion over the world once all their inhabitants are fully controlled uh, of the world. Once they're depopulated below 500 million, which the Georgia Guidestones state and once, uh, you know, people are all put in smart cities, you may think that's the end goal. That's not the end goal. Mm -mm. <clears throat> no, no, that's, that's not the end goal. Now, let me just say, though, just because it's their end goal doesn't mean it's the thing that is going to happen. Because it is not. That is their plan. But just like, you know, you've planned many things and then it not happened. Uh, that's because there's many different timelines. And you don't need to think, that you're on the timeline, and please don't think that you are on the timeline where their plans come to fruition, their evil plans come to fruition, because that is not the case. That is not the case. But the end goal isn't just to put you in a smart city and uh, fully mind control you. You have to wonder if there are all these agencies and corporations around the world that are supposed to be protecting the health of the environment and the people. They're supposed to, right? But if they're not doing that at all, like right now, I just found out that in different parts of the United States and Canada and even Sweden, they are spraying from planes and helicopters glyphosate. Now, glyphosate is the pesticide that's created. Sorry, it's the herbicide rather that is created by DuPont and Monsanto that merged and they created this toxic chemical. They spray it in forests to kill the uh, aspen and poplar and birch so that the money trees, so the hardwoods, will grow better because there aren't other plants like fighting for the nutrients in the soil. But a lot of people have protested against this. You have to wonder, how did we get to a point where spraying glyphosate from a plane onto a perfectly beautiful fertile field uh, is all of a sudden, of course, a beneficial thing? You may be thinking, oh, it's, the, it's for the profits. It's for profits. It's because people are profit-driven and there's greed. No, 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 no. That's also not, let's kick this wing nut out. Uh, no, we don't do drugs over here, brother. We don't do, uh, we're not on drugs. 
We're just critically thinking, have you heard of it? <laughs> uh, so anyways, they're spraying these pesticides. You may be wondering, why aren't these EPA, these companies that are supposed to protect us, why aren't they doing it? Why are they failing so eff, uh, you know, epically? They're completely failing. It's not because of gross negligence. In other words, it's not because they accidentally aren't doing a good job. It's because it's part of the plan. There's an anti-human, anti-biology uh, agenda that we're faced with on Earth. So... What do I think of what he said? He made some really good points. Again, his name is uh, Connecting Consciousness, his IG. He has 875,000 followers, so almost a million. Um, and yeah, he was talking about... Uh, well, somebody, somebody kept asking, somebody kept asking him questions if he smokes or if he does drugs or if he sniffs anything or drinks anything. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do nothing. He says that he says no. We don't do any drugs. Just critical thinking. Have you ever Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> he said that. Um, well, and he's right. I like I like the positivity. He says um, the plan is not going to happen. Well, we're not sure if the plan is going to happen or not happen. But most of the time, when we make plans ourselves, things don't go right. As I like to say, ninety percent of the the time, I don't think our plans would go as according to plan. You can you can say tomorrow I'm gonna do this, and then tomorrow you do the complete opposite, and you didn't even expect it. It just you, you just went along with the universe, whatever whatever the flow is of the day. And um, <clears throat> yeah, um, I guess what I'm trying to well, okay. So from this live, the, he was he was trying to show us. Not to be fearful, but showing us the truth. So yes, there's an agenda, and uh, I th I think there's an agenda. As he said that they're spraying glyphosate, which is um yeah, it's cancer causing basically, destroying the human body, causing infertility. <clears throat> um, I think the next video I'm gonna show you guys is uh. Something interesting, actually. It's gonna be, uh... I'm gonna try and show you guys something called anarchy, which everybody thinks it's all about, uh... You can do whatever you want, and you're gonna murder each other, and there's no rules and no laws. But in reality, I think it's just the people coming together as one. But that's just my opinion. And, uh... One more thing to add, going back to connecting consciousness. My, uh... I, I don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to happen, but we have to wake up and uh, we have to wake up soon. Okay, um, I will be playing this video and it's uh, from the channel called Anonymous from YouTube. Um, there's, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Anonymous, uh, the, the truther community or woke, woke community, whatever you want to call it. Um, in this video, he explained, they explain everything about the economy, they explain, like, global, global financial, financial reset, um, the collapse of the United States, uh, they just, they just have different ideas, and then somewhere towards the end, in the middle, they talk about anarchy. The whole video is, a, is about, like, an hour and a half long, so I don't know if I'm gonna post all of it, but I'll just... I'll, po I'll post it, and as we go along, I'll make some remarks regarding each idea. Alright, let's jump in. 
Guess what, world? We are back. Everywhere you look, corruption. We continue to fight pointless wars over lies, and we are killing innocents and letting our children die in wars just to ensure the Federal Reserve can continue their petrodollar scandal. True. We are sitting idly by while these crooks continue to loan fake money out to us at interest, stealing our homes, and enslaving our children. The Federal Reserve, yeah, it's a it's a private bank, it's a private corporation, it's it's fr it's a fraudulent bank, it's it's fake, it's a fraud. Let me make this extremely clear to all of you listening. Many corporations, especially the Federal Reserve, used the government to steal seventeen trillion dollars from your children. Your children did not have that money. They are now debt slaves. These people have stolen money from your children that are not even born yet and sold their freedoms. They have enslaved you and many around the world. Wake up world. And they did all of this by counterfeiting money and loaning it out at an interest. They have stolen hundreds of trillions from people around the world. Yeah, inflation. He said they, they make the money go up. and That's inflation, yeah. Have you heard about Microsoft's Xbox manufacturers in China? They had to install suicide nets outside their buildings to ensure their employees don't jump out of the window to commit suicide. These are the conditions your children in the U.S. will be working under when the debt is soon owed, and it will be owed. It is not a matter of if it will be owed, but it is just a matter of when. And it will happen as soon as the United States economy collapses. He's talking about um, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. He just said the collapse. We don't know when it's going to come, but it's going to come. And as he talked about the conditions in China, people are going to say that and that's never going to happen here. It's called FEMA. Ever heard of FEMA? Look up, look up um, FEMA camp and concentration camp and people think it's a conspiracy theory, but look up the, um, they have coffins already, coffins lined up already, but they're empty. And, and there's, and nobody knows what they're for. They're just there. It's just there. So I'll continue. Which will happen very, very soon. And if you think because you do not live in the United States, this does not affect you. You are wrong. And you are next. The only way we can stop this is if we all unite together and fight it. People of the U.S. are waking up to the Federal Reserve scandal. And the powers that be are currently afraid of retaliation. And that is precisely where they trying everything they can to disarm us. You know how the media has been saying gun violence has been out of control and at an all-time high. They are not simply twisting the truth here or exaggerating. They are absolutely bold-faced presenting lies to you. First off, realize, gun violence in the United States has always been shockingly low. And gun violence has dropped by 49% in the last 11 years. The This is an old video. This is an old video from like six years ago. Oh, uh... Published, oh, published in 2014, so long, long time ago, 2014. So uh, some of the data that he said might be a little bit, might be a little bit worded wrong. I don't agree with every single thing that he says, but if you look into the video, he actually says some other, other deep, other deep topics, deep thing that could get you into deep thought. Uh, there's definitely gonna be lots of confusion, lots of cognitive dissonance. And, uh, yeah, I'm gonna try not to interrupt anymore. Already, already absurdly low gun violence in America has literally dropped in half. In half. 
The fact they are saying that it is at an all-time high perfect demonstrates how biased the government and the media is. If this doesn't prove to you that they have an agenda, then nothing will. Do you remember how the media keeps repeating that there has been 74 school shootings since Sandy Hook? Those 74 shootings were not even mass shootings like they claim. Most were suicides and none of them even took place at a school. Not a single one. They are presenting lies to you America. When will you wake up? At some point you have to ask yourself why would the government fake 74 mass school shootings involving children? If they get our guns, we will lose the fight against them. And they will take away absolutely all of your freedoms and you and your children will be forever slaves. And don't forget they purposefully put you and your children into that debt. And because the Federal Reserve Communism. is present in all countries, the other countries of the world are next soon after. This plan is called the New World Order. It's, it's also called, uh, we're living in modern-day Nazi, Nazism. Modern-day Nazi Germany in disguise. <laughs> it's, it, it, I'm laughing, but it's not a joke. Modern-day Nazi Germany in disguise. That's it, one more thing. It is the same New World Order the Vice President of the United States called for on national TV a month ago. He said we need to strive for and complete the New World Order. This is also the same New World Order President George Bush and President Kennedy said is our country's lifetime goal. And the same New World Order George Bush said on national TV said will happen no matter what we do, and we cannot prevent it. This has all been a long time plan. The Federal Reserve and their partners want complete control of humanity. We cannot let this happen. They want to rule over us, like kings and queens and humanity will be forever lost to enslavement by a bunch of tyrants who have publicly admitted they want to kill off the majority of the population so the masses are easier to control. They are going to wipe your bloodline completely off of the earth. They'll tell you the order of things to happen. The enslavement will follow immediately after guns are taken away and you cannot fight back. If they cannot get the guns before the economic collapse, then they will wait until the economy collapses. When the economy collapses people will be starving, there will be looters and shootings. The government will insist on taking guns away to help, and as soon as the guns are taken away then we will fall into a complete dictatorship. Do not fall for it. Remember, they are the ones who caused the economic collapse to begin with. This is the same tactic used on Germans and it worked, so expect it. As soon as the economy collapsed and the masses were starving the German government asked the people to give out their rights and they listened. And then eventually the government was throwing the naked masses into into giant burning hot ovens for mass execution. Do not give up your rights. Do not give up your guns. Fight back as they were the ones who caused the problem. Just so you know the people who are behind this Federal Reserve scam and New World Order are the same ones who funded Hitler's campaign. Make no mistake, these people bit as brutal as Hitler himself, even more brutal. In fact, now we are going to show you some. Assuming America grows some balls and we win, we will need an overall plan. <laughs> we have come up with a perfect plan. This plan offers extraordinary possibilities. It will yeah. make for the most beautiful and free world you can ever imagine. If we are successful, we can leave a much better for our children. A beautiful world. Watch every minute of the rest of the video. Do not skip a single bit of it, as it is all important. If this one video gets out to and can change the world, this is your opportunity to make a difference.
Please share this video. Do you want with it get paid for the views? We don't care. Just get the message out there for the world to see. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the movie. Well, lots of ideas, lots of topics. Now this is, it says the solution to the problem. That's what it says on the screen. So let's see it. Let's hear it. it. Makes perfect sense. Okay. Anybody else want to throw anything out at us? Sir? Uh, I think you're an anarchist and you don't know it yet. <laughs> I think you're an anarchist and you don't know it yet. MISBS.org. This is. This is denying anything? This is, from, this is from a university. The measure of, of the state's success is that the word anarchy frightens people while the word state does not. Joseph Sobrin, empower yourself. Many people, when they hear the word anarchy, Here we go. think of chaos and mayhem. So mm -hmm. they assume that an anarchist must be in favor of disorder and violence. That is the complete opposite of the truth. Most objections and complaints about the anarchist or voluntarist philosophy are not actually about the philosophy itself, but result from people misunderstanding what the philosophy is all about. Okay, so I was wrong. So they actually they actually talk about anarchism right from the get-go, from the beginning. The end is where they talk about, the middle and the end is where they talk about like how to get rid of the police and how to get rid of fire department and stuff. Uh, we don't really need to... That, that is a part of anarchism, but I don't think I'm going to uh, watch to the end of that. We'll see. Let's see. To illustrate a few points, we will use the example of two fictional islands. Authoritania, where there is a ruling class or government, and anarchia, where there is no ruling class of any kind. We will use these islands to examine several common misconceptions about anarchism. Lots of people think anarchy means every man for himself, or survival of the fittest, or the absence of any social cooperation or organization. They think that anarchy means everyone has to be self-sufficient. This comes from the false assumption that some kind of government is necessary for any organization to occur. Whether it's part of a republic, a democracy, a kingdom, or a dictatorship, a ruling class issues orders called laws and punishes anyone who disobeys them. That is not cooperation. That's domination. It's one group forcing its will on another. Authoritarianism can be used to force people into organized patterns, but that does not mean that people are incapable of organizing their activities without being forced. The most productive and useful examples of organization that we see today are anarchistic in nature. No one was forced to build the grocery store you go to. No one was forced to produce or sell anything in it. Everyone involved in the vastly complex operation of growing your food, transporting it, displaying it in the store, and selling it to you, everyone involved participates voluntarily working in exchange for money. You and all the other store customers choose freely which store to go to and what to spend your money on. This purely voluntary arrangement allows for an amazingly complex degree of organized cooperation without anyone being coerced to participate. In contrast, 
Under government, a very small group of people comes up with an idea and forces everyone else to participate in it and provide for its funding with tax dollars. In the authoritarian version of a supermarket, the ruling class would tell people what to produce and how much, what prices to charge, and they would tell customers what they must buy and what they must pay. Anyone who did not comply with the centralized master plan would be punished in some way. That is how government does things. Which one of these would you prefer? Another common but incorrect assumption is that if there were no ruling class or no government, people would have no way of defending themselves against common criminals or foreign invaders. Again, this is simply not true. The government version of protection is inherently hypocritical. Governments will use their hired law enforcers to find and lock up some of the private thugs and thieves and prevent them from preying on people. But every ruling class gets the money for its operations by way of taxation, demanding money from its subjects and punishing those who don't pay up. Oddly, every ruling class insists that it needs to be able to forcibly control and extort money from people in this way in order to protect them from private criminals who might try to forcibly control and extort them. In contrast, if there is no government, people do not lose their inherent right to defend themselves from violence or to defend what they have from those who would take it. Every person has this right, and they also have the right to organize and cooperate with each other to exercise that right. Organizing for mutual defense does not require any government-granted laws or authority. No one wants to be attacked or defrauded, and everyone wants to feel safe. Whether each person takes this on himself or herself individually, or whether they hire and organize others to do it on their behalf, it can be done on a voluntary basis. Those who insist that government is necessary often claim that if there wasn't a government, then smaller private gangs would spring up to enslave and rob people. Organized crime gangs exist along with government, and most people do not understand the dynamics between them and how government enriches and empowers organized crime while appearing to fight it. Black markets enrich organized crime, and money allows them to buy government protection. There's no reason to think they would do as well in an environment of freedom where they would have fewer ways to make money and would be up against both individual and organized armed citizens. A criminal gang that's recognized as such has far less power than a gang whose aggression is perceived to be legitimate and proper. And that's the gang we call government. When thuggery is called law enforcement, and thievery is called taxation, and self-defense is called crime and terrorism, then even the widespread ownership of firearms can't do much to stop the aggression. Imagine a private gang trying to do the things that government does without the aura of authority, and imagine how a well-armed population would respond to this. The gang would fail quickly and dramatically. Another concern that people have when they first consider the idea of a stateless society 
is that some people are truly malicious, destructive, and sociopathic. The concern is that these people would be free to do anything they wanted and no one would stop them. But this concern is again based on a basic misunderstanding of human nature. Wherever we have a government ruling class, we still have freelance thieves and thugs who are not deterred by the laws of the politicians. In some instances, they're stopped by force by the police, or they decide not to commit a crime for fear of what the police might do to them. What makes this deterrence work is not the legislation or the official badges, but the simple threat of harm to the sociopath. It really makes no difference whether the threat comes from the police or another citizen or even another criminal. A sociopath doesn't care about laws or social rules. He cares about avoiding pain and hardship for himself. This is still true when a government ruling class is not involved at all. If the intended target of a would-be carjacker pulls out a gun, it doesn't make any difference to the carjacker whether that person has a badge or whether there's a law against taking people's cars. Discouraging nasty people from hurting others does not require special authority, only the ability to use defensive force. Ironically, though people hope that government will protect them, having a government, a gang which is believed to have the right to tax and control people, just creates one gang so big and powerful that normal people can't resist it. In short, to create a huge gang and then give it societal permission to control and extort people with the hope that this gang will prevent theft and thuggery is simply a self-contradictory idea, but that's what government always is. Some people might assume that if people organize for mutual protection and defense, then that's what government is. But there's an essential difference. People coming together to do something that everyone has the right to do, such as defend yourself, doesn't require any special authority. It's not government unless one group of people claims the right to do things, which others do not have the right to do, such as taxing and controlling innocent people. Organized defense can be very effective without supposing the special right to rule over others, in other words, without being government. In contrast, governments rob the people they rule of far more wealth than private crooks could ever manage, making the idea of a protector government ridiculous. Another common objection to the idea of a stateless society is the notion that if not for a group of lawmakers telling the rest of us how to behave, we would all behave like stupid, irresponsible, violent animals. <laughs> this claim implies one of two things. Either we normal people have no idea what is right and wrong Ooh. unless and until politicians tell us, or the only reason we want to do the right thing and coexist peacefully is because politicians told us to. A quick examination of your own motivations will show you that neither of those things is actually true. It's particularly odd to make this argument in a society where politicians are voted into power. If the people themselves have no moral code and no conscience and are just stupid, violent animals, 
Why does almost everyone want government to keep the peace and protect the innocent? Would a population of vicious, heartless, evil people try to elect good people to keep the evil people in line? Obviously not. The goodness and the desire for order and peace comes from us, not from the lawmakers we vote into office. The same holds true of everything the government does. If people are so short-sighted and selfish that they can't be trusted to voluntarily organize and raise money for whatever they deem important, then how can those same people be trusted to decide who should be in power? The implication is that the average person can't be trusted to run his own life, but can be trusted to choose someone to run other people's lives. Government is really not a civilizing influence. It's actually an uncivilizing influence. People who would never personally rob their neighbors constantly use the government to do it for them by way of taxation. People who would never dream of trying to control minute details of their neighbors' lives think it's just fine to vote for politicians to do it instead. Government gives everyone the opportunity and encouragement to rob and control other people without risk. So government, rather than serving as a check against the imperfections of our nature, instead drastically amplifies our greed, irresponsibility, and malice towards other human beings by giving us a legally acceptable and risk-free way to interfere with the lives and choices of our fellow men and women. Government brings out the criminal and busybody in everyone. In contrast, in the absence of a ruling class, people would lose their ability to ask lawmakers to interfere with their neighbors' lives. And we would not have law enforcers who could avoid responsibility for evil deeds by claiming that they were just following orders. Throughout history, far more theft, assault, oppression, and even murder has been committed by those acting on behalf of a supposed authority than by anybody else. Even basically good people, when they believe in government, will condone things or do things which they know would be wrong if they did them on their own. Most people know that theft and assault are bad, but they imagine that controlling their neighbors and forcing them to spend their money on things they don't want is perfectly moral and legitimate when it's done by way of the political process. Wrong becomes right when it's called taxation, legislation, regulation, and war. Anarchists know better. They know that human society will never be perfect, but it would be a whole lot better if evil deeds were committed only by genuinely nasty sociopathic people rather than being committed wholesale by basically good people who think that violent aggression is okay when it's called law enforcement. The fundamental principle of voluntarism is very simple. It's wrong to initiate violence against any other person, regardless of badges, laws, or alleged authority. The only time the use of force is justified is to defend against aggression. Almost everyone understands this on a personal level, but they've been taught that this basic rule of social living does not apply in the game of politics and government. 
Most people already know how to get along with others, and most people want a peaceful and just society. Our morality doesn't come from politicians making laws. Our ability to organize and cooperate doesn't come from the ruling class. When people escape the belief in government, they don't suddenly turn into violent animals. Our inherent right to defend ourselves and our ability to defend ourselves is not served by government. In fact, it's threatened by government more than by anything else. Ruling classes do not produce peaceful coexistence, but rather perpetual conflict and violence. Our belief in government authority takes our compassion, virtue, and good intentions and turns them into power for people who crave power and riches. Of course, the people who benefit most from the political racket will put a good spin on the system and do their best to convince people that it's a social necessity. But ask yourself this, have the thousands of laws, regulations, and taxes imposed on you by politicians made you a better person? Have they made you more productive or more caring? Is the world better off with the politicians taking your money and telling you how to live your life? Or do you think it might have been better off if you'd been allowed to spend your own money and make your own decisions? Is society really best served by a small class of people forcefully imposing a centralized master plan on everyone else? Can the orders and threats of a ruling class make the world what it should be? Or would society be better served by human freedom and respect for individual rights, by voluntary cooperation and peaceful organization? If this second option sounds better to you, maybe you should learn more about anarchism. Some people dismiss anarchism as a utopian idea that would only work if everyone were generous and compassionate. Obviously, everyone is not generous and compassionate all the time. But these people need to look at the other side of the coin. If people are too stupid, greedy, and malicious to be free, aren't they too stupid, greedy, and malicious to be trusted with power over others? Whether people are inherently good, bad, or some of each, giving a person power over others is not going to make that person better. In fact, power has historically been known to corrupt people and make them worse. Whereas the discipline imposed by the equal freedom of everyone else brings out the best in human nature. Most people today think that we need some form of government because they mistakenly believe that obedience to authority makes us all more civilized, moral, and peaceful. In reality, it has always done exactly the opposite. Everyone knows that governments can be corrupt, abusive, inefficient, counterproductive, even tyrannical. But most people assume that the way to fix that is to get the right people into power. People have spent centuries trying to create a good society using different kinds of ruling classes, different legal structures, different ways of choosing the rulers, and so on. But every governmental construction has resulted in freedom and riches for some, and oppression, violence, and poverty for others. What if, instead of deciding what the throne should look like, and who should sit on it, 
All people of goodwill embraced the non-aggression principle. What if instead of looking to a ruling class to impose our values on society, we embraced the concept of self-ownership? These principles are simple and easy to the point of being self-evident, but they're diametrically opposed to the authoritarian principles that most of us have been indoctrinated with. Anarchism does not mean chaos and violence or every man for himself. Having no government does not mean having no morality, no organization, and no cooperation. Simply put, anarchism does mean that no one is your master and no one is your slave. And that's all it means. How are you, Lord Rosier? Wow. Hot damn. Man. That chick went ham, didn't she, huh? That's a woke, that's a woke-ass girl. That's one badass chick. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, so, it's called Anonymous, so unfortunately we don't know anybody's names in the video. Of course, it was a woman. Well, the beginning was somebody dressed in a mask, so I don't know if it was a man or a woman. They, they changed their voice, obviously, robotic voice. Um... And then the second the second one uh where she was talking about the um the government and the anarchism that was a woman and uh I didn't want to go into any I was gonna go further because I stopped at the part that I think you heard like a guy's voice he's about to go into talking about um you know getting rid of the police and changing it. I have a lot of family members who are who like the police. Well, we all we all like the police. Police are generally. It depends on the situation, but generally, police. Um, well, let's just put it this way, right? Police just do their job, so um, let's not get too crazy. But, um, and plus, I wanna I wanna throw some other ideas out there though. But uh. Let me see. Maybe I'll I'll play a little bit of it and then we'll see how long this podcast goes. Uh he talks about um he he talks about like making our own cars instead of going to the dealership, making our own phones instead of buying phones from Apple and Samsung and all that stuff. And uh I know it's kind of it's kind of cuckoo. Uh that's what most people say. What do I think of it? I don't think we should get rid of the police. But, um, okay. What, when, when I mean when he says he wants to get rid of the police, he actually wants to change it for something else. So, I'm not sure how to word it. That's why I don't, I'm not really a good, I don't know how to word things correctly. Uh, alright, I'll play a little bit of it and we'll see what, and we'll see what he says. Let's see. Feeling slightly less than entirely patient and polite today, so if this video gets slightly caustic, uh, too bad. This video is for all the people who are constantly saying, well, if not for government, we couldn't have roads, or we couldn't have police, or nobody would care for the poor, or we couldn't, we wouldn't be protected, whether it's from, from local thugs or from from foreign invaders, we wouldn't have this, we wouldn't have that. So thank goodness we have government and taxes 
because we wouldn't have any of those things. And the first way I'd respond to that is by pointing out the assumptions that underlie that complaint, that, that, that argument. Basically what people are saying, because let's be clear about what the terms mean, government is the people who boss everybody else around. And taxes are those people demanding money from us. So they basically tell us, hand over a whole bunch of money and we'll decide how to take care of you. We'll decide how to spend your money. Uh, if we don't like it too bad, we don't really have a choice. Like, well, you can vote in a few years and maybe something will change, even though it totally won't. So that's what people are saying. Basically, if we didn't have a ruling class stealing our money and then supposedly spending it to protect us, how could we possibly have roads or anybody to protect us? The implication is that in this country, for example, 300 million people would just sit around thinking, oh, we just we can't do it. Without politicians and tax collectors, we can't have a road, we can't protect each other, and we can't... And it, it rests on this bizarre assumption that things that almost everybody wants, they wouldn't do anything to make happen unless there were politicians forcing us to give them money so they can make it happen. And so an example I like to use is let's apply the same argument to food, because food is pretty darn important. I think everybody can agree. Let's apply the same argument that, that statists use about the roads or caring for the poor or protection or anything like that. The argument would go like this. Now in the context of food, listen how idiotic this is. If we don't have government demanding money from all of us under the threat of caging us, and that's what taxation is, here's the money you have to give us, here's the nasty things we do to you if you don't. If that didn't happen so that they could build a big food production and distribution system and feed us, well, we'd all starve. We'd all just sit around saying, gosh, I wish we had food, but you know, no politicians and tax collectors. Uh, we're just going to sit around and starve to death. Now, in this country, nobody would believe something that stupid because all you have to do is go to a supermarket wow. and see a perfect example of really efficient organized cooperation that nobody is forced to do. There is no, you know, if you're going to make the argument that people make about roads and, and, and protection and all that, you'd say, well, nobody is forced to make any food for anybody in this country. How do you know everyone's just going to say, well, it's not my job, and we'll all starve to death. There's no guarantee. There's no master plan guaranteeing that we'll all have food. So obviously we're all going to starve if we don't have an authoritarian government stealing our money and then making food and giving it to us. Because golly gee, we couldn't possibly do it voluntarily ourselves. Again, in this country nobody makes that argument because they see it happening voluntarily. Nobody involved is, is forced to do that. Nobody is forced to make you a single bite of food. There is no guarantee at all from anybody. And yet, Americans are by and large, hugely overweight. Obviously, we don't have a lack of food. We have a lack of healthy food. But obviously, we see that example, oh, we can handle that. You know, voluntarily, mutual cooperation, that's fine for food, but for some reason, it's not okay, and we can't even fathom the idea of the exact same thing handling roads, or handling protecting us, or other things that almost everybody wants. So there's, in the question is this bizarre assumption that everybody will sit around really, really, really wanting something, 
But because there aren't politicians bossing us around and stealing our money, well, how could we possibly do it? And one of the most common things is, who will build the roads? Which is amazingly stupid to me. Just amazingly stupid. I have here in my pocket a little tiny thing. Thank you. With this little tiny thing, I can be most places in this country and call people all over the world. And I own it myself. I'm not anywhere near rich these days, but I own one. Almost everybody I know has one of these. A little thing that can fit in your pocket, and just on a whim, you can open it and talk to somebody who's on the other side of the planet. And there was no coercion, nobody forced anybody to make one of these. This is the result of voluntary cooperation. And that's it, free trade. Organization, yeah, good. Cooperation, yeah, good. Coercion, which is what government is, and taxation, which is theft, didn't need that to do this. So what these people are telling me, oh, we wouldn't have roads if we didn't have government, is that somehow free individuals, relatively free, interacting voluntarily can make it so I can talk to almost anybody in the world on a little thing that fits in my pocket on a budget that is not a very good budget at the moment, but I still have one of these. That freedom, not authoritarianism, can supply me with this, but freedom cannot achieve a flat place. Because that's what a road is. It's a flat place. From here to there, because we have these machines that take us from here to there. By the way, we don't have those machines because of government. We have those machines because of free enterprise and voluntary interaction and cooperation. The idea that freedom can make a car but can't make a flat place is just idiotic. You really think we can't make a flat place? And, and so I ask people, and they say, well, we'll build roads. Are you really telling me that you really and truly think that if government fell off the face of the earth, 300 million people in this country, Sarcasm. 7 billion if you want to include the whole planet, Sarcasm. would sit around in their houses thinking, golly, I wish I could go visit Fred, but eh, I can't because there's not a flat thing for me to him. And I don't know how to do it. And the other 300 million or 7 billion people, we can't possibly do it because there aren't any politicians and tax collectors. If they were here, we could do it. If they were here to boss us around and steal our money and really inefficiently build a flat place, then we'd be set. Then I'd be comfortable and I could be confident that I could get places. I could visit Fred. I could go shopping. But now we're all going to sit in our houses wishing we could go to the corner store, but we can't because, golly, how could we possibly make a flat place from here to there? We can make these where you can talk to anybody in the world. We can make machines that you drive around in, but no, we couldn't possibly make a flat place. And when people say, well, who will build the roads? The first answer is the same damn people who do it now. Politicians and tax collectors don't build the friggin' roads. Exactly. Have you ever seen one out there? No, you haven't. They steal our money, waste most of it, do all their corrupt games, and then they pay other people. Here's an idea. How about if we pay those other people who actually build the stinking road? And the fact that that doesn't occur to people is a great indication of how well indoctrinated people are by the rulers who will perpetually tell us, you can't organize anything, you can't achieve anything, you can't do anything unless we are here to force it on you. And it's, again, there are a zillion examples, whether it's caring for the poor or protection or roads, obviously where most of the population will say, I'm really concerned that 
poor people won't be taken care of, which means most of the population wants people in need to be taken care of. And if we didn't have politicians stealing our money, how would it happen? Here's an idea. Take some money out of your pocket and give it to one of the people that you think needs help. Why would you not comprehend that, but you would comprehend some guy a thousand miles away passing a law to send an armed thug to take your money, to waste 90% of it, and then give a little bit to somebody who may just be defrauding the system or may actually need it. And the amount of indoctrination required to make people even ask these questions of how could we possibly do this without government? What do you think government adds to the equation? It doesn't add any resources. It doesn't create anything. Everything it gives away, it steals from us first by way of taxation. It doesn't add any skills. It doesn't add any knowledge. The people who are here would still be here if the institution of government fell over. We have all the know-how. We have all the resources, all the technology. The only thing it adds is one group that's imagined to have the right to violently assault and control and extort everybody else. So what the question really means is, how can we have a road, or how can I help that poor, or how can that poor person be helped, or how would anybody protect us if there wasn't a gang of thugs with permission to violently control and rob us? And when you recognize that that is literally what the question means, you already see how utterly idiotic it is, and it's completely the result of authoritarian status indoctrination. Nobody would come up on come up with that on their own, and and. You obviously don't see that with the example of food or cars or cell phones or anything else. Nobody says, we won't be able to talk to each other unless there's a gang of thugs that's around, allowed to boss us around and steal our money. And just economically, how stupid do you have to be to think that's a good idea? Here are your choices. Let's do this. I'll give you these two choices for how you will be fed from now on. Either you can go spend your own money wherever you want, you can get supermarket or local this or the local grocery, wherever you want. You can go decide what you want and they'll tell you the price. You decide what you're gonna buy and how much and, and you can go to different places and you can shop around and you can do all that. That's option number one. But let me warn you, option number one does not give any guarantee that you will be fed. There's no master plan forcing people to feed you. So, oh my gosh, you better be really scared of that option despite the fact that you can do it day after day and it works really darn well and feeds pretty much not only this country but with a massive surplus. So that's option number one that apparently statists are scared of. Option number two is politicians will take as much money of yours as they decide to take. Then they will decide what, if anything, they will buy with that money in terms of food to give to you, to feed you. Do you really think that will serve you better, that that will feed you better? Yeah, I'm much more comfortable that I'll have a, a you know, I'll, I'll be fed, I'll be secure, everything will be okay if a gang of thugs who doesn't really care about me steals my money and then decides what, if anything, to give me back from what they stole. But that is implied in the question, whatever you put in the blank, you know, how are we going to have blank if not for government? What you're saying is, how can we, the people who really want roads and food and cell phones and protection and all the things that almost everybody wants. How can we possibly have that unless we give someone permission to steal our money and boss us around and then decide what they're going to give us? And the same thing applies no matter what you put in the, the blank. How will we possibly do blank without government? 
Um, one of the silly ones is, is caring for the poor. How will we care for the poor? Think of what that means. Like people, it, when more than half the country votes for a party to take care of the poor, it's more than half of the country saying, we're really concerned and we want to make sure that the less fortunate are taken care of, but we don't believe that normal people acting in freedom will take care of them. Well, if the people didn't care about the poor, they wouldn't win the election. By definition, if you vote for a welfare state, you're an idiot. Because either people are heartless bastards and you're gonna lose, or people are compassionate and giving, and you don't need to win, just give them your stinking money. But people play the game, and that's the Democratic Party lives off of the idiotic notion that you're all so heartless that you should vote for us to steal your money to give to the poor. And half the country falls for it. Yeah, we're all so heartless that we voted you into office for the specific purpose of taking our money to help the less fortunate. That's just freaking brilliant. How about if half the country just gave their stinking money to the less fortunate? And then the less fortunate would all be rich because it would be a trillion times more efficient than the government version of, of welfare ever is. Wow. Also, it would be actual charity instead of mass theft and corruption and Oof. fraud and all that fun stuff. Wow. But what takes the cake, the ultimately insane thing, you know, whatever you put in that gap, how can we have blank without a parasitic ruling class and a bunch of hired thieves? It's just a stupid question, but it's extra super stupid when what's in the blank is how will we be protected? Who will protect us from thieves and robbers if we don't have government? It's the most idiotic question. It's also the most frequent question from statists. So here's what the question literally means. If we don't give a certain gang of people permission to violently control us and take our money under threat of putting us in a cage, who will protect us from people who might commit aggression against us and take our money? Wanting government for that is exactly as brilliant as saying, we have to have a carjacker in our town, otherwise somebody might steal our cars. Government is an appointed thief. If you don't think taxation is theft, first of all, you're a really well-trained slave. Second of all, try not paying, see what happens. <laughs> see if they say, oh, it's quite all right. Or if they say, no, you're gonna pay or we're gonna take your stuff or eventually we'll put you in a cage. And when people say, that's not theft, because we get something back. Learn to think. And I use this example all the time, and all I ever get is stupid looks from statists in response. If I robbed you at gunpoint of 100 bucks, and the next day I gave you a sandwich, and you said, what? I said, hey, now everything's fine, because you benefited. I gave you a, a, a service. I, I gave you lunch. So that retroactively makes it okay that I robbed you at gunpoint. Would you buy that argument? No, you'd say, that doesn't make it okay. Okay, you give me a sandwich. And yet every status makes the exact same argument when it comes to government. Will we get some stuff for it after they demand our money under threat of violence and putting us in a cage? Then we get services or goods. We don't get what we asked for, and we get lots of things we didn't ask for, but we kind of get something, and that retroactively makes it okay for them to say, give us this much of every paycheck you make or we're sending men with guns to take your property. And the slaves justify their own enslavement. I'm proud to pay my taxes. I'm proud to get robbed by a parasitic ruling class and get a little bit back and feel good about it. 
Like, not only is that legitimate and justified, but I feel proud that I let myself get robbed by a bunch of crooks and parasites. But again, the ultimate thing is protection. When people say, who will protect us from aggressors and thugs and thieves if we don't have a government? Even though what government is, by its very nature, is a gang of aggressors and thugs and thieves. They issue commands, every law they pass is a command backed by a threat of violence. You have to do this, you're not allowed to do that. Here are the nasty things we will do to you if you, are get, if you get caught disobeying. I mean, everybody knows that, even though it's, they don't usually say it in terms that blunt and honest and accurate. But to say we need taxes to be protected is as stupid as you can get. It's saying we need theft to avoid theft. And the fact that people are trained to use different words so that this theft sounds okay, it's legalized, it's taxation, and we voted for the people who robbed us. Like, we got to elect our local carjacker, and that means he represents us when he demands our car and points a gun in our face. He's serving us as he steals our car because he's going to use that car and sell it and make money to make sure nobody else steals our car. That is the essence of government. And the fact that you have hundreds of millions of victims of that scam vehemently defending it and say, I, I'm not getting that up. I don't want to give up government. Who would protect us? I don't want to give up the biggest aggressor on the planet, the biggest thief on the planet. Look at your tax bill and see how much private crooks steal from you. So before you ask that question, before you ask, how could we possibly have roads or protection or water or air or Christmas or Santa Claus or any of the zillion things that statists imagine we can't possibly have without a, a ruling class, think about what the question actually means. Because when you get to the point where you understand the implications of your own question, asking how can we possibly have this without a parasitic gang of thugs robbing us, when you actually understand what you're really asking, you won't ask the question because you will realize it's completely freaking idiotic. Oh, uh, it says on the screen here, um, I'll just read it to you. If you have a hard time imagining what it would mean to have a stateless society, humanity without government, then get a copy of The Most Dangerous Superstition. I guess that's the name of a book, The Most Dangerous Superstition. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I guess I'll keep going, actually, because it's actually almost finished. The video is almost finished, but I'm not going to play the Rebbe ending. Um, I just realized the Rebbe, the Rebbe, Rebbe ending, like, the last maybe 10 minutes is, like, where they talk about, like, you, you know, we're all going to hell and this and that. And, uh, I don't want to, I don't really want to mention that. That's kind of just, like, negative talk. I think that the way I think I think uh, society will change. Uh, we just need more time, and uh, I know I know everybody I know uh, everybody doesn't like it when you're talking for too much. But let's see how long we could go actually with this video, with this podcast. Um, and then yeah, like I said, I'm gonna try to upload this to YouTube. Uh, shout out to Marquise and Amanda. <laughs> Haven't seen you guys in forever. Tried talking to you today, but something was wrong with my DM. Instagram is, uh, I think they're gonna shadow ban me or something, cause, uh, my voice message system doesn't even work anymore, the, the DMs don't even work, hardly, 
slow, frozen. Uh, right, let's get back to the video. Uh, I couldn't, I didn't catch his name at the beginning. Uh, I think he's gonna, he was saying it fast. I think he's gonna say it again here. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll get back. Okay, I'm gonna play it again. Hey, Larkin Rose here. Uh, one of the first things that people are concerned about when they start thinking about a society without a ruling class is, well, what happens to the nasty people? All right, so his name is Larkin Rose. That's what he said? Larkin Rose here? He said it very fast again. Right. Uh, whether you're talking about people who are just kind of negligent or inconsiderate, uh, play their music too loud at night or leave their trash lying around the woods or whatever it is, um, all the way up to people who run around attacking and murdering people. Some people say, well, well what would happen to them? What would we do about that? Uh, some people even go so far as to say, if not for government, there would be nothing to stop people from committing murder and, and doing whatever other nasty stuff. And it's funny because when somebody says that, there would be no consequences, they could do whatever they wanted and nobody would stop them. The person saying that is implying that he isn't going to do anything. If there's someone running around attacking and murdering innocent people, the guy who said nothing will happen to them, obviously he's not going to do anything or something would happen to them. But not only is he demonstrating his own cowardice when he said there would be nothing to stop murderers, he's also projecting his own immaturity and irresponsibility onto the rest of the world because he's also saying the other 7 billion people wouldn't do anything about it, which obviously isn't true. I would, wouldn't you? If somebody was running around murdering your neighbors, would you just go, well, there aren't politicians and there's nobody with a badge? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm an empath. I'm an empath, so uh, I love, I just want to spread love, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, I would help. Let me continue. We don't have tax collectors and bureaucrats, so, oh, well, I guess they're just out of luck. They're going to get murdered. Uh, and... Would, would you not even protect yourself if there wasn't government? Obviously, lots and lots of people, all the same people, would do whatever they could to protect themselves and, and defend the innocent. Uh, to, so to say nothing would happen is just really bizarre. And it comes from having a mentality basically of a little kid in a classroom where the teacher walks out of the room and the kids are just sitting there. We don't know what to do. No authority is telling us what to do. And Johnny's throwing things at me. And there's no teacher to stop him. Ah! Because most people, having been trained into authoritarian mentality, it never occurs to them that they are the ones who should fix anything, who should stop anything. And so when people say, well, what would be done about this and that or the other thing, nasty people doing nasty things, um, the, first, the first thing I ask is, well, what would you do about it? Because people are so into the mentality that there has to be some... There has to be some master plan and some authority who writes down the law of here is what will be done with those people that people don't think in terms of, well, what would I do about it? Which is why I always ask people, well, what would you do about it? You're a person just as much as me and just as much as the other 7 billion. What would you feel justified in doing if somebody was polluting or playing their music too loud at night or running around murdering people or whatever in between you can think of? any nasty thing, what would you feel justified in doing about it? Because there's a very basic rule of being a 
moral human being, which is if it would be wrong for you to do something, don't ask anybody else to do it. And the rule is so simple, so self-evident and obvious that most people will go, well, duh, of course. Trouble is, nobody in the world who believes in government abides by that rule. Nobody. I don't care if you're a constitutionalist, Democrat, Republican, fascist, communist, anything, any kind of statist. There is nobody who believes in government who abides by the most basic rule of morality, which is if it's wrong for you to do something, don't ask somebody else to do it. Because every single candidate, every party, every government always does things that the voters know they themselves have no right to do. And to say something like, well, I'm voting for the guy who's gonna tax you less. Well, do you have the right to rob me a little bit less than the other guy? No, you don't. So telling me that, well, somebody was gonna rob you more, but I voted for the guy to rob you a little bit less. You are still violating the basic rule of being a human being. If it's wrong for you, don't ask somebody else to do it. Uh, well, that's kind of the second basic rule, the first one being the non-aggression principle. And they actually go together quite well. But when people are in the mindset that there's gonna be some major centralized plan to, to deal with whatever, polluters or people who play their music too loud or murderers or whatever else, they have to get out of that mindset. They have to start to think that maybe they are among the people who have to do something about it. So instead of setting what will be done about such and such, well, what will you do about it? What should I do about it? And this doesn't, this doesn't magically make all the problems go away, but the actual practical challenge of dealing with most disputes is trivial compared to the challenge of getting people to think like responsible adults, where they start to think, well, maybe it's up to me. And a while back, I did uh, little events called uh, Escaping the Myth. And one of the little mental exercises I did with these little groups of people is, imagine we're on an island, and we're it. There's no government, there's no authority, there's nobody with a badge, and one of us is running around stealing stuff from other people. He's not killing anybody, but he's stealing stuff what are we going to do about it? We normal people, there's not a legislature, there's not 911 to call, there's nobody with a badge, it's just people. And so with that specific example, I would ask people, so what do we do? And just off the top of their heads, everybody comes up with solutions that are way better than what government ever does. First of all, every government solution is, all right, step one, I get to rob everybody. That's the government solution. Well, we're gonna tax everybody so we have the resources to stop that other robber. Well, in the island scenario, nobody is stupid enough or insane enough to start with that, to say, well, let's see, so somebody's stealing our stuff. Okay, first, I get to rob all of you so that I have the resources to protect you from him. Nobody is that insane. Everybody is insane enough to believe that who believes in government, and I did for many years. I was stupid enough to actually think that it was rational and moral to advocate mass extortion in order to protect people. And that's just stupid. So I just believe something insanely stupid for a very long time. Most of the world still believes that. But in a setting where people are, are put on the spot and they're responsible for what happens, they don't do that. They don't say, well, I get to boss everybody around and take their money. Nobody does that. So to me, the challenge is not even coming up with specific solutions to every imaginable a dispute or problem, which I don't pretend to know how everything's gonna turn out, and I don't intend to be emperor of anarchy. I'm not gonna be in charge of the world. But getting people to the mindset where it's up to them, where there's just people, we're it. No legislatures, 
no people with badges, no authority, we're just people, suddenly people are way better at solving problems and making things work. Uh, one good example is when there's a, a disaster. Unfortunately, um, sometimes it takes a horrendous event to bring out the best in people. And it brings out the worst in some people too. But when people say, well, my neighbor's house is floating away, I'm not gonna wait for FEMA. I'm not gonna dial 911. I'm gonna jump in a boat and go save him because suddenly it's on me. Suddenly I'm the one who has to do something. And when people, when it occurs to people that they're the ones who have to do something, and unfortunately, usually that only happens in a complete disaster area. When it occurs to people and they suddenly take on the responsibility and start to think like adults, their solutions are generally a lot better than any government solutions and ever are. But to get to that mentality, people have to shift from the authoritarian mindset to the mindset of a self-owning individual who realizes there is nothing above me. There is no magic unicorn who's gonna come to save the day, who's gonna come save me from, from polluters or somebody playing their music too loud or murderers or whatever it is, it's just us. And if we realize that, then first of all, people would stop asking me, well, without a government, how would this be handled? As if I'm gonna be in charge. I don't freaking know. What would you do about it? I could tell you what I would do about it. I could tell you what I might suggest, what I might predict, but who cares? I'm one of seven billion people. I'm not gonna be in charge any more than you are. So it's really a mental exercise that people have to think, think over in their own heads with their own moral codes instead of waiting for some outside answer. And it's why I don't usually get into those discussions of, well, here's my plan for how to deal with this and that and the other thing, because my plan doesn't matter. My plan will not be the best plan for any problem you can come up with. There will be a million people with better plans than whatever I could come up with. So don't ask me to describe how you are going to fix problems. I don't freaking know. And you can see the mind shift um, in people when they, they grasp that they own themselves and they suddenly realize, oh, okay, well, yeah, there are things we can do to settle disputes, to protect ourselves from attackers, to do this or that or the other thing. But the first step is just grow up. Stop thinking it's somebody else's business to make the world work. Well, how will the poor be cared for? I don't know, what are you gonna do? Well, how will we be protected from this? I don't know, what are you gonna do about it? And there is, it is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to be a free person where you can't just be a kid in a classroom whining to the teacher to save the day and fix everything and make everything work, where you actually have to be a responsible adult. And that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why people like the belief in authority because then they can live with the lie that all they have to do is obey and do as they're told and everything will be okay. First of all, no, it won't be okay. Second of all, you're not even being a human being. You just threw your free will out the window and became somebody's slave in the hopes that that would help humanity. It doesn't help humanity for you to be a slave. It doesn't help humanity for everybody else to be a slave. It does help humanity for you to start thinking as an adult, responsible human being who owns himself and who accepts that it is your responsibility to figure out how to make the world work. Okay. Um, I'm going to read what it says on the screen. Uh, for, a turbo, for a turbocharged de deprogramming from the auto auto uh, you, you get what he's trying to say. I have a bad pronunciation. Um, 
let's just say world uh, a totalitarian uh, mindset get a copy of the most dangerous superstition yeah and oh yeah okay the most dangerous superstition the same thing like last time available at Amazon alright so you can get it at Amazon the most dangerous superstition it's a book It's Stefan Molody from Free Domain Radio. I hope that you're doing well. This is a little presentation entitled The Proof for Anarchy. It's sort of embarrassing how long it took me to come up with this as a thesis, but we will look on the bright side Free and hope that it Radio. holds our stance. This is um, more details from an argument in the free book, Everyday Anarchy, available at freedomainradio.com in ebook or audiobook format. So, Anarchy, The Proof. Well, there's a core anarchist claim, or the core anarchist claim, is that a central coercive monopoly, a state, a government, is not required for criminal sanctions, uh, punishment of criminals, violent crime, and so on, for the provision of public goods, uh, roads, and uh, pollution controls, and so on, and for contract enforcement. Furthermore, using a state to solve these problems is both counterproductive and uh, immoral. Now. Fairly simple argument, why has it made so little headroads or headway among uh, uh, educated and civilized debaters? Well, there's a real challenge, two main challenges, I would say. When you attempt to convince people of the validity of a stateless society, what happens is you kind of have to go one of two routes. And the first route is you say, well, there are historical examples of a stateless society, but they don't tend to get very far with people. People don't really know much about them. Uh, it requires a lot of research. The research can be biased by pol people's political opinions, either pro or con. It seems very distant and, and vaguely not credible because they've never heard about it before. So that doesn't generally tend to clinch the case. Uh, and the second, of course, is to provide theoretical models of how public services could be provided without a government, of how law courts could work without a government, and so on. And what this does is it tends to provoke the endless, yeah, but problem of endless questioning. Well, you might not need this, but what about this, and how would this work, and how would that work, and the other, and what if, and what if. And that doesn't tend to clinch or close the case either. So these have been the typical weapons in the anarchist arsenal, so to speak, but they have not been effective for the reasons that I mentioned. So the historical examples people bring up, well, a couple hundred years of medieval Iceland, there was medieval Ireland, feudal Europe, as some people say is a decent example, anarchic communes during the Spanish Civil War, uh, Rothbard talks a lot about Pennsylvania, uh, 17th century, modern Somalia, uh, kibbutzim in Israel, and so on. But these aren't terribly convincing. There's very few people who are going to be saying, we should run our society according, the according to the principles that were enacted in medieval Iceland. It doesn't tend to be very, very convincing. It requires a lot of research and doesn't tend to get over the hump. Uh, these are distant examples, or you don't know much about them. They seem inapplicable. They seem uh, foreign. And in the example of Iceland and Ireland and feudal Europe, they were ended by statist intervention, either domestically or from other countries. It requires a lot of research. It's just not terribly convincing. And we can see uh, the results of the general acceptability of anarchistic theories uh, that it doesn't really come about, that these things don't really work. So the holy grail of anarchic argument is, what if, what, 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 what if, there were an example of political anarchism that was in practice, that every reasonably educated adult was perfectly aware of and understood deeply. 
If we could use that example to prove that anarchism worked, not could work, not might work, not worked in ancient Ireland or worked in some future theoretical thing or doesn't work in Somalia because of state funding and state uh, intervention, arms sales and, and so on, the irrational society and so on, at least we would overcome a core argument against anarchy, which is that it is functionally impractical. Does such an example exist? Oh yeah, all I can say is absa positively frequently. But first, because I'm very keen on creating as many barriers to acceptance of the truth as possible, let's create the most difficult conceivable or possible case for anarchy. Because a theory which operates very well under the most adverse uh, conditions can be assumed to operate even better under less adverse or less extreme conditions. So if a man can lift 100 pounds, it's perfectly valid and an entirely true statement to say, yes, he can lift five pounds too. If the escape velocity of uh, to get out of Earth, uh, to get away from Earth is 11.2 kilometers per second, 30 kilometers per second will escape Earth even faster. This is just a logical thing. That which works uh, right on the borders or works under the most negative situations will also work under the most positive situations. If a bridge can hold a train, then it can hold a baby carriage. This much we can logically understand. So, the premise. If, my friends, we can find an example of a highly functional form of anarchism that operates under the most adverse conceivable conditions, and as a benefit which is familiar to people as well, then the theory of anarchism can be considered more than possible, more than theoretical. Um, it's, it's proven. This may be our Einsteinian relativistic eclipse. It may be our Darwinian theory of evolution. We don't know as yet, but let's hold that for the mere possibility. Furthermore, if this example is commonly understood by just about everyone, then the last remaining theoretical barrier to the practicality of anarchism will come down. The challenge. So a stateless society, the advocation of a stateless society, faces the challenges of, you know, how do you deal with, without a government, how do you deal with criminal prosecution, contract enforcement, the provision of public goods, you know, roads, national defense, sewage, garbage collection, blah, 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 and so on. Anarchist theorists do not say that these services are not required. Nobody says, oh, we don't need roads. Roads are a fool's game. They're a con man's game. But rather that essential coercive agency is not required, not moral, and impractical in the long run. So the free domain radio solution, and this is just stuff that I've been working on for the last couple of years, of these things called DROs, or dispute resolution organizations. And these are like quasi-insurance companies that provide customers with things like contractual enforcement. Mm -hmm. And this is not necessarily if you're doing business with someone in Taiwan or Jupiter, but rather uh, contractual enforcement with issues you may have with your landlord or with your school or whatever. Protection from criminal victimization, collective defense if necessary, and the public goods argument does not require the existence of a state. It doesn't justify it. You can have roads without. In fact, roads were invented long before the state came along and so on. So really, we're just going to focus on the contractual enforcement, protection from criminals, and collective defense. So here's a totally minor example. This covers virtually nothing, but it's just a way of looking at it. If uh, you and I enter into a business arrangement for $100,000, let's say we can choose a mutually acceptable DRO uh, to provide restitution uh, if one of us fails to adhere to the contract. If I fail to adhere to the contract, the DRO will pay you for your relevant losses and then will come after me uh, to pay restitution or would have me pay you directly. 
if I refuse to, if I welch on the contract, break the contract, and refuse to pay any restitution, then DROs will raise the price for me to do my next contract. Like, if you take up smoking, your insurance rates go up. If I uh, end up welching on my contracts, it becomes that much more expensive to enforce my contracts, and thus the price of me having contracts goes up. And of course, contracts are necessary for just about everything you do in a modern economic society. I mean, and if I piss off every DRO on the planet and nobody wants to do business with me or raise my rates so high that it becomes impractical, which, which wouldn't actually be that high to begin with, then I just can't pat until I make good, uh, until I provide restitution to the people whose costs I've incurred by welching on my contracts, I simply can't participate. I can't rent a room. I can't, uh, I can't buy groceries. I can't have a bank account. I can't use an AT. I just can't participate until I deal with this all nonviolent ways of dealing with things like contract enforcement. Property crime, again, this is a total um, massive sprint through. There's lots to this, and you can listen to the first podcast or look at freedomain.blogspot.com, starting from the bottom up for more on this in terms of how it could handle things like pollution controls and so on. So if I contract with a DRO for property protection, if I'm robbed, well, the DRO is going to pay me restitution. It's going to give me back the, um, the computer that was robbed, so pay for it. If the DRO can identify the criminal, it's going to require him to pay restitution instead. If he doesn't, then DROs are going to share... Uh, names with other DROs. This already happens with insurance companies. And these other DROs will refuse to enforce his contracts until he makes good on that which he stole. Uh, so he can't use a, he can't buy groceries, can't use a bank, can't get on a bus, can't take a cab. He's just going to find himself increasingly hampered in his participation in um, civil society. And people say, well, yes, but what if he decides to go off the grid as far as the DRO system goes? Well, of course, people can do that. It's still very hard to function. But people can do that in a state of society anyway. Nobody can catch you if you go off the grid. Fundamentally, so uh, this, you know, DRO system's not perfect, but it's a vast improvement over what we already have. And if the guy's broke, uh, he can pay off the restitution through garnished wages or whatever. So, uh, violent crime. So I could uh, probably would uh, sign with my DRO. Maybe a variety of them, or maybe a one-stop shop. Restitution for rape, assaults, and so on. So, uh, and they won't punish self-defense. So if I am getting attacked and I defend against myself, I defend myself. They won't sanction me. So if a man is assaulted, uh, his DRO pays him restitution and then pursues his assaulter to recover the costs. Either the assaulter pays the costs or is driven out of the society through ostracism. There are tons of historical examples of this, just in case you're interested. And anyone who deals with the criminal is going to face sanctions from the DRO system as a whole. So this could be a really close ranks kind of situation. Everybody's going to rely, uh, at least to, for some period of time in their life, maybe after 20 years, the DRO just... You know, you can do that with insurance companies, right? After you've paid for a certain amount, you're just insured for free because you paid off the costs of your whole lifetime. Same thing with DROs. After you've been in the DRO system for maybe 15 years or whatever, everything else is just free because obviously you're not going to do that just to shaft someone in some contract down the road. But uh, if you are unproductive for people to do business with, DROs going to kind of close ranks and make sure that you're not around. That having been said, if someone can make money out of enforcing your contracts, that person will find a way to do it. So it's not a, uh, a totally closed-ranked monopolistic system, but if you simply, if people can't find a way to make money out of enforcing your contracts, they just won't, in which case you're going to be enormously crippled uh, in any kind of economic life. And all of this is achieved through ostracism, ostracism sorry, through the sharing of information, through non-contracting with people, uh, it's totally non-violent. Again, I'm not saying this is going to be convincing to anyone who's totally against the theory, but it's just a possibility of how it could work. 
As far as collective defense goes, well, collective defense costs very little in a free society. It's a basic fact of history that no nuclear-armed country has ever been invaded because the retaliatory possibilities are just too big. It only takes a few dozen nuclear warheads to deter invasion of any particular geographical region. Cost of defending that, a couple of nukes, a couple of bucks a year, maybe. Uh, so that's just not a big enough issue or cost or price that uh, that would be a barrier to collective defense. So when you put these ideas forward, what happens is these endless objections come up. Well, what if you know a, a DRO grows to become a government, gets rid of all other DROs, or or uh, a DRO just picks someone to badmouth, or what if the DROs themselves don't follow their own contracts? And of course, there's endless checks and balances that are invented by uh, the free market. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to go into those objections here because we all know them, we've all thought of them, and so on. However. Let's go even further and try and cripple this theory as much as humanly possible. And if we can find an example where it works even though it's crippled, then we know that it works uh, in, a, in a free society even better. So if we can find an example of an, of an uh, anarchic theory working well in practice despite every conceivable obstacle we can throw in its path, the, pra uh, path, the practicality of anarchism is proven. So. Let's say that I put forward this uh, proposed anarchic DRO system, and you could call this any number of names, just the one that I happen to use. Now, I say, okay, well, I want to get rid of the government, and I want a DRO system, but no contract can ever be written down. No contract can ever be enforced in any legal or coercive or ostracism manner whatsoever. No information can ever be shared at all. Uh, and a super DRO monopoly already exists, and it's going to kidnap and imprison anyone found to be participating in any of these super secret, quote, non-contracts. And hundreds of thousands of people are constantly sniffing around and will be well paid for revealing these secret non-contracts. That is about the most absurd and ludicrous hobbling of any kind of anarchic, voluntaristic theory of contract enforcement and so on. If I put that forward, do you think it would work? Do you think that this system, you can't write down contracts, you can't enforce them, you can't share information, uh, and you get thrown in jail for even coming up with these contracts, and tons of people are constantly sniffing around and will be highly paid for finding these secret non-contracts. Do you, do you think that would work? No. If you say no, then you're totally wrong. Sorry, not my fault. <laughs> but if you say, well, no, uh, DRO systems, uh, even in a free society, are hard to believe that a DRO system like the one you just described would never work. Well, no, you're actually completely people, incorrect. This that's system what most people would say. No. Uh, that I just described, you can't talk about contracts, you can't enforce them. It's all handshake deals, and it's all hidden, and it's all under the table, and people are sniffed, uh, sniffing around to try and find them all the time. Well, this system, shockingly, works almost perfectly. This system is all around you. The system works all over the world. The system has worked for thousands of years in hundreds of countries. What, you ask me, what system is this? What red pill am I offering you, perhaps not even orally? The anarchic system that you live in. This system is hard to see, well, at least it was for me, because it is so well camouflaged. This anarchic system is the state itself. Indeed. Well, the thesis. The state, the state, the state, the government, 
is the best conceivable example of a functional anarchic system because it functions almost entirely on the spontaneous enforcement of rules without central coercion, without using violence. The process. Special interest groups give money to political candidates in return for political favors after election, after the election. These, quote, contracts can never be written down, are completely non-enforceable, are illegal, can never be discussed openly, and are a real scoop for the media if the media discovers them, and function almost flawlessly all over the world and all throughout history. A state of anarchy, democratic governments function on anarchic principles. That's why it's so hard to see, at least it was for me. These, quote, contracts that can never be written down, never be enforced, never be discussed, are punished by imprisonment, and are lucrative to expose, function almost perfectly. The state runs on, quote, contracts that can never be enforced by the state, and are in fact violently opposed by the state. Thus the government, the state itself, is the best example of a perfectly functional state of anarchy. The proof. Remember we said, if anarchic principles can work under the most adverse conceivable conditions, then anarchic principles will work almost infinitely better under the least adverse conditions. If a man can lift 100 pounds, we know for certain that he can lift five pounds. If anarchy can work in the state, if the state functions because anarchy works, then we know for certain that anarchy can work without the state and far better too. The example we gave of crippled anarchy, the existing state system, is the man lifting 500 pounds, we give it to the state, it's that much better. You can openly discuss these contracts, you can publish them, they're objective, they're enforceable through overt means. Nobody cares if they're discovered because they're open and they're public and they're not illegal. This is a trippy idea. You might wanna watch this again. At least it was for me. This is, if this is the proof, I think it is the proof, then this is all that we need to make the case because we are already embedded in a perfectly functioning, though highly crippled anarchic system. And if we remove the crippling nature and aspect of secrecy, subterranean handshakes, non-enforceability, things will, things will only function almost infinitely or enormously better. Thank you so much for watching. Okay, so um, before we wrap it up, I just wanna say thank you all for watching and I hope you enjoy this. Have a good day, have a good night, whatever, whenever, whatever. Um, just one last quick video, uh, four minutes long, five minutes long. No human has ever left Earth's atmosphere, here's why. 2.5 million views published last year. The name of the channel is Seeker, S-E-E-K-E-R. Uh,
and it talks about how we can't leave Earth because, uh, for whatever reason, she's gonna explain, and uh, so that means nobody has ever been to the moon before, never ever. Um, just sit back and give it, give it a listen, take it all in, and uh, bless you all of space exploration so far, we've debated where the Earth's atmosphere ends and space begins. And your surprise for the day is that according to newly unearthed observations, our atmosphere is way bigger than we ever thought. Her name is Marin, M-A-R-E-N, by the way. Like, it goes past the moon. We've mostly defined space as the vast expanse of the rest of the universe that exists past the Kármán line which exists roughly 100 kilometers above mean sea level. Now, according to the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale, the organization officially in charge of determining these kinds of rules, after the Kármán line, you are in space. The reasoning behind this is after 100 kilometers, the Earth's atmosphere becomes too thin for a conventional aeronautic vehicle like an airplane to stay in flight without reaching orbital velocity. So you have to switch to more specialized astronautic vehicles. But if you thought this was gonna be simple, it's not. Even though the FII's Kármán line designation is commonly recognized, there's actually no official international consensus over where space technically begins. Some astrophysicists say it should actually be 80 kilometers above the mean sea level because of the way the orbital momentum acts on satellite objects. NASA and the US Air Force also define space as starting about 80 kilometers above the Earth's surface, and those who cross that line officially become astronauts. Okay, so the definition of space is up in the air, but what even is the atmosphere? Yes, it's the bubble of gases that shield and insulate the Earth from the aggressive radiation of the sun and the cold, dark depths of space, but like most complex things, it's got layers. The troposphere, with all our fun weather and necessary gases for breathing and surviving, the stratosphere, where commercial airlines fly when possible because there's usually less turbulence. The mesosphere, where most meteors burn up and the highest layer at which clouds can form. And then comes the thermosphere, which is where that tricky Kármán line lives. And this is where astronauts begin to experience weightlessness and is where the ISS orbits. That means that technically our most commonly defined line of where space begins is still in Earth's atmosphere. And then finally, there's the exosphere, that final layer between us and outer space, made up of super spaced out hydrogen and helium atoms, slowly dissipating out to nothing, up to 200,000 kilometers away from Earth's surface. Or so we thought. We actually haven't previously really known where the exosphere ends and outer space begins. We just know that those extremely sparse gases gradually fade out into a vacuum. But a team of astronomers has recently dropped a total bombshell. When the cloud of gases in the exosphere reflects the sun's UV light, it creates a luminosity, a glow that we can see called the geocorona. These new observations of the geocorona indicate that the exosphere may extend up to 630,000 kilometers away from Earth a distance that includes the moon. So technically the moon is in the Earth's atmosphere. This realization is thanks to an instrument called the Solar Wind Anisotropies Instrument, or SWAN. SWAN was able to measure and analyze the full extent of the geocorona, making us think about our atmosphere in a whole new way. See, sunlight interacts with the hydrogen atoms of the exosphere at a wavelength called Lyman-alpha radiation, which is something astrophysicists can measure when looking at cosmological structures in deep space. 
Observing Lyman alpha radiation can tell us about the distribution of matter in space and help us think about how the universe expanded. It's also a wavelength that's absorbed by the inner layers of our atmosphere, so we can't observe it from Earth. But from Swan's position in space, it was able to see and measure both general Lyman alpha radiation and the geocorona. Uh, uh, that's enough of that because she, she was talking about space. Uh, we really don't have any proof of space is real or space is fake. A lot of people say it's space is fake, it's an imagination by NASA. Uh, I'm going to end it off with that <laughs> and uh, enjoy your life. Live your life like I always say. Live your life. Peace and love. That's it. You know, we're living in a society.